Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Mind your business only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the breakfast show. I'm Ryan Huang. Now, since its launch in June last year, an investment platform company owned by Tomasic called Gen Zero has been on a mission to accelerate global decarbonization. With an initial commitment of five billion Sing dollars, Gen Zero aims to achieve a net zero world by investing in technology-based solutions, nature-based solutions, and carbon ecosystem enablers by providing. Patient capital to early stage and mature companies. Gen Zero supports the commercialization and growth of decarbonization solutions. So one year on, let's find out how Gen Zero is faring in terms of the projects or startups they have invested in, and what are the green growth sectors they'll be focusing on moving forward. Joining us in the studio is Gen Zero CEO Frederick Teo, who is leading the company in actively seeking sustainable financial returns alongside positive. Climate impact. Welcome to the show, Frederick. Good morning, Ryan. Thanks for having me. It's great having you on. So let's get to know Gen Zero a bit more. So as part of Tomasic's portfolio, Gen Zero aligns with the company's goal to half net emissions by 2030 and achieve a net zero portfolio by 2050. So how does Gen Zero's investment approach differentiate itself from other decarbonization-focused investment platforms out there? Right. So I think there are probably three areas that we can talk about. The first is really our holistic approach to decarbonization pathways. We invest across three focus areas, as you mentioned earlier, nature, tech, as well as carbon markets or carbon ecosystem solutions. Why is it important to have all these three? Because there's no one silver bullet that is able to solve decarbonization holistically, right? At times, if we are solving for particular problems, we need a mixture of nature solutions like planting trees to take carbon out of the air. And other times, you might need industrial solutions like new types of fuel that can help us to decarbonize aviation. So realistically, I think we need to talk about different pathways. And then finally, when we think about carbon market solutions, it's quite important to actually think about how to crowd in carbon finance or other alternative forms of financing to be able to lower the green premium associated with new decarbonization solutions. The second area that I think we might uh, operate a little bit differently is in the intentionality that we approach the issue of climate impact. Hmm. So we are a double bottom line investor. That basically means that we aim to achieve a financial return above our cost of equity, but we also are very intentional about setting targets for how much climate impact we should be achieving for the capital that we deploy. And then finally, I think as an investment firm, we are also spending a bit more time thinking about how to build up our ecosystem, the industry around us, participating in thought leadership and initiatives to be able to help drive new standards, emerging methodologies, and, and get better awareness around this entire issue around decarbonization. Mm, yeah, you mentioned a couple of things that are very important. It's a holistic approach. And you also have to, in a way, provide patient capital because um, a lot of these things take time to pay off. You really need to invest in it long term. Uh, walk us through some of the examples of the way you approach investing. What the evaluation metrics you use? How do you decide what to invest in and figure out, hey, this is something that's suitable for us to get into in the long term? How do you go about with the criteria? 
Sure. So maybe I'll suggest five factors for us to actually consider when uh, anyone is thinking about investing into and participating in this space. The first one is to understand the amount of capital that you have available because the total amount of money that you have will determine the kind of strategy and the approaches and what you want to actually invest in, right? So if you have enough money, you can actually participate in more sectors, more pathways. If you have less, then you might need to focus on the ones that you feel will be most impactful. The second criteria really would be the kind of financial returns that you are targeting. For example, if you are looking at nature-based solutions, perhaps the risks might be higher in some of these countries that you operate in. The returns might be a little bit lower. However, if you look at technology pathways, then perhaps uh, the returns might be higher, but also associated with risk. As you mentioned, many of these uh, solutions are still very new and nascent. The third and fourth factors are really around the kind of impact that you want to achieve from your investments. So this is really about the quality and quantity. I'll give you an example. If you are basically protecting forests, you are basically avoiding emissions. But if you're replanting trees, then you are basically creating additionality from the reduction of mm. uh, carbon in the atmosphere because you are planting new trees to suck in more carbon out of the air. So these represent very different quality types of measurements, right, in terms of the impact. However, there is also a quantitative aspect to it or quantity aspect to it, which means what? If you're protecting a forest, there is immediate impact. But if you are growing trees, you need time for the trees to grow. So this actually links into the fifth factor, which is what is your time horizon for yes. creating that impact, right? So, um, so it's a question about the quality, the quantity, and the time dimension of the impact that you want to achieve. So these different factors will then help you to construct the investment uh, strategy or the portfolio that you want to have. Yeah, we mentioned um, time horizon. It brings to mind your expectations, right? Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to your horizon, investment horizon. So when it comes to returns, expectations, why your expectations? How much are you looking at when it comes to a range, especially when you look at you know, how some companies might need to take a long time to pay you back in terms of returns? Well, I mean, we seek to deliver sustainable returns over the long run above our cost of equity. So obviously, in, when we are investing into many early stage uh, companies, mm. uh, you cannot be taking a short-term view and it's particularly important and when we're looking at the area of climate tech and decarbonization solutions. So as long as in the long run that we are able to achieve sustainable returns and more importantly to do this from a portfolio perspective and not just looking at individual companies or individual investment opportunities. Right. Okay, so talking about your portfolio, we're talking off air about some of the exciting projects you're invested in. Some of them really caught my eye. Bioplastics is one of them. You've got rice decarbonization. You also have sustainable aviation fuel. So walk us through how these projects are going to have a big impact in time to come. And of course, are there any other projects that are worth mentioning? Well, thanks for highlighting some of these exciting pathways. When we are looking at investment opportunities, we are actually thinking about which are the ones that could be sustainable in terms of economic viability over the long run and also be able to create massive impact from a decarbonization perspective. Take sustainable aviation fuel. I mean, you know, while it contributes only to about 2-3% of global emissions, global aviation is a very important sector. Even in a country like Singapore as a global aviation hub. It is responsible for anywhere between 100 to 200,000 jobs. So making sure that it has a sustainable pathway for success in the long run is particularly important. And so sustainable aviation fuel is widely recognized as one of the more important decarbonization pathways for aviation. Mm. And so we have invested in a few of these uh, opportunities, including recently into a company based in the US called Clean Jewel. And what they have is a new approach to using cellulosic waste from agriculture to be able 
able to make these fuels. Because when you're making these fuels, one of the things is just not about the cost of making these fuels, but also the availability of feedstock, right? What are your raw materials? What are the input factors, right, that will be able to allow you to create these new products at scale? Mm. So Clean Jewel is one such example. Bioplastics is actually another interesting area because obviously everybody sees about plastics, right, and yeah. recycling and, re- and substitution. But at the end of the day, I mean, plastics are going to be an important part of modern society. It's everything from our electrical appliances to food containers and things like that. So by investing into a company like New Light that actually produces bioplastics or biodegradable plastic substitutes, then what we do is actually make it a little less carbon intensive. And New Light, for example, makes these products from captured methane. We were actually talking about this off-air, about how people don't realise how much plastic we use. Even in paper cups, there are plastic lines. Absolutely. Because, um, you know, when you are buying your cup of coffee and it is in a paper cup, you actually need a plastic laminate around it to be able to make sure that Mm. the liquids are not soaking through and that it can contain hot liquids, for example. So maybe bioplastics could be the new lining to really make it biodegradable. Let's talk about some of the things that might be on the horizon. What's your approach towards hydrogen? That seems to be a big thing these days. Well, hydrogen is an important area because as we think about decarbonization more generally, it is important to decarbonize actually the energy sector. If you think about it, modern society, modern industry is actually powered by energy, right? It is even the water problem in Singapore, for example, right? When we think about desalination and everything, we are surrounded by water. We are an island surrounded by sea. So if we actually had access to infinite amounts of clean, available uh, energy, we don't really have a water problem. Mm. So energy is actually central to decarbonization. Now, we think that it is important to be able to move off fossil fuels in order to actually decarbonize. And therefore, hydrogen actually provides a very important next step for us to actually achieve decarbonization in the energy sector. And the good thing about it is hydrogen can actually be produced through renewable energy sources. So, for example, you know, when you have solar or abundant wind energy, and then you are able to then uh, electrolyze and get uh, hydrogen out of water, for Mm. example. Okay, that's going to be a big thing to watch out for. We are in conversation with Frederick Thiel. He's the CEO of Gen Zero. Now, Frederick, let's talk about how you approach investments when it comes to ensuring the long-term financial viability while delivering the positive climate impact that you're aiming for. What are the mechanisms in place to monitor and measure what you are doing to make sure that you're on track, things are working out the way they're supposed to, and figure out where you are in that journey? What are the tools that you are using? Right. So on the financial side, actually, investments are no different in the decarb sector compared to many other sectors that we're looking at, right? So we are understanding the fundamentals of the company or the project that we're investing in, whether it actually has scalability, Mm. uh, that it actually has a large addressable market, and that the fundamentals are actually sound. Now, clearly in the decarbonization space, because it's actually quite new in some areas, we have to actually watch out for regulatory risk because oftentimes some of these new solutions take new foods that are maybe low carbon or new building materials that may be low carbon in nature, Mm. but they often will require new regulatory approaches to be able to certify them as uh, permissible for use. So there are also regulatory risks. Um, So these kinds of considerations will impact our thinking around the financial viability of these investments. But beyond that, because we are actually a double bottom line investor and we worry quite a bit about the climate impact that we can achieve from our investments, we also think about whether there is actual additionality in the work that we do. Like for example, is it really making a carbon impact, right? Is it actually saving the planet from a perspective of emitting less carbon? We also worry about whether there is actually some permanence to the kind of carbon impact that we are achieving, right? Is it for the longer term? Well, of course, we are not talking about like forever and ever, but it must at least take carbon out of the air or take carbon out of the atmosphere 
for at least a while, right? Mm. If it's not long enough, then there is actually no impact. So these are the various considerations we have when we think about whether an investment makes sense. Okay, and just to wrap things up, you know, as you go about your journey towards investing in some of these solutions, how do you hope to inspire other investors to follow this journey as well? And what are some of the perhaps takeaways on your journey so far that you'd like to share with other investors? Thanks. I think it is important for us to actually do a good job mm. because I think that by doing a good job and showing the way that we can actually you know, be economically viable, have commercial returns while at the same time doing good for the planet, I think that that is the most powerful demonstration of the feasibility of investing into climate, of investing into decarbonization. But more importantly, it is this is an industry where we all need to either win together or we are all going to lose together. So actually in this industry, we try to share as much as we can. Like, for example, we recently published our climate impact framework to be able to add to the industry's understanding of how to actually measure the climate impact from our investments. We also organized a recent uh, Gen Zero Climate Summit to be able to share perspectives on this particular industry so that we can bring everybody along. But I think two last messages I think that we can take away. One is that we cannot afford to wait. The climate challenge is actually very real and very urgent. So we cannot afford to de-risk everything before we actually act in our investments. So we cannot let perfection get in the way of good. And the second thing really is that actually key fundamentals, all right, thinking long-term, considering as many factors as we can when we make our investments will already make us a sustainability-focused investor. All right, that's a lot to chew on. Of course, you have to take that first step to be on this journey, this long journey. We've been chatting with Frederick Teo. He is the CEO of Gen Zero. Frederick, thanks for the time and joining us today. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.